we interrupt this broadcast to bring you a breaking content warning. This podcast, which has escaped and is headed towards Slaughter Swamp, has occasionally been known to talk about dirty things, including penises, and often says the fuck word. You have been warned. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're Aeronauts and we're back with more Word Balloons. We've been flying higher on our own hot air, but have stopped our journey to Slaughter Swamp to answer your nerdy questions. By the way, we're starting a journey to Slaughter Swamp. Hi, this is a new Not season. Not a great place to go, but like, you know. So, I'm a big Solomon Grundy fan. I was about to say, I have this delivery of pants for Solomon <laughs> Grundy. Solomon Grundy, one pants. You have to, if you've never seen these, go look up the old Cartoon Network commercials they did using old Super Friend clips. It is better. They justify the existence of the Super Friends cartoons. And Solomon Grundy. And Solomon Grundy. <laughs> anyway, we've stopped to answer your nerdy questions. With that in mind, Zach, what's our question this week? Did a teenager resurrect Jean Grey? This is one of the ones where I'm just going to let this be... All... <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so here's my quick answer. Yes, because it's the X-Men. I don't even know for sure. This it's is the actually... X-Men. Okay, so the real answer for this <laughs> is... The question is outside continuity, and the answer is yes. A, t- a teenager came up with the idea of how to bring back Jean Grey. But I'm going to have to talk about some incontinuity stuff for any of this to make any sense whatsoever. Okay. So, Jean Grey, created by Stanley, Jack Kirby in 1963 in X-Men number one. The original five X-Men being uh, Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, Beast, and Cyclops. They were a... It's interesting to think about now because the X-Men are, like, the team. For years, they were the team. But they were a pretty fair-to-middling-selling comic at best. They were not one of the Marvel, like, record setters by any stretch of the imagination. And they actually got cancelled, and for years, they were just printing reprints. Mm. Until 1970, I believe, when all new X-Men happened, which brought in Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, the, the team that made them not five white teenagers. Right. Chris Claremont takes over at that point. He didn't know much about the X-Men, up till that point, but he knew that he liked Jean Grey. He had, like, read one X-Men issue and was like, her, she's awesome! But they had already had her leave the book. And to be honest, Jean Grey was a not great character in those early appearances. Stan Lee, I like Stan Lee for many things. I really, honest to God, do. Stan Lee was really bad at writing women. He wrote Damsels in Distress, Invisible Girl, Marvel Girl, all of them had girl names, The Wasp. They just, they existed to get kidnapped so the other people could come rescue them. Mm -hmm. It's a bummer, but it was also 1963. Chris Claremont takes over, brings her back into the book, like the issue after she leaves the book, because when the all-new X-Men come in, all of the X-Men except for Cyclops, all of the originals, leave the book. Because it was going to be a team of like 14, and that was way too big. Jean Grey comes back, and he decides to change her from the weakest character to by far the the most powerful character on the X-Men. Yes. In Uncanny X-Men 101 in October of 1976, so about a year after Claremont took over the X-Men, there is a storyline where the X-Men have this big battle on a satellite. I'm pretty sure it was a Sentinel factory. Doesn't actually matter for this, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that they have to pilot a shuttle back in, the autopilot is broken, and the radiation shields in the cockpit are also broken. So one X-Man has to pilot it back in while the rest of them hide out in a protective room. Jean Grey knocks out Cyclops. I think knocks out Cyclops. She might just telekinetically throw him in the room. Right. And sacrifices her life to do this. And in a very beautifully but disturbingly drawn set by uh, artist Dave Cockrum, you see her 
like quickly dying of radiation poisoning as entering the atmosphere, where she encounters an alien force known as the Phoenix Force. I don't remember if they call it the Phoenix Force in that very first appearance, but but it's the Phoenix. Yes. I have not read this comic since I was about 12, to be honest with you. It's great, though. She makes a deal with the Phoenix Force, which in the original version just joins with her, empowers her, and saves her life. She comes out as the Phoenix, and it becomes a thing of Jean is losing control of her own divine and her own powers as the Phoenix is overwhelming her, because it's the Phoenix Force. It is literally the spirit of creation in the universe. Creation does come at the cost of destruction, though. It's a whole, like, it's a Phoenix. You burn, you rise again, yada, 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 create life from destruction. Now, in 1980, the Dark Phoenix saga comes out. It is... Unequivocally the most famous X-Men story of all time. Yes. During this, Jean Grey loses control of the Phoenix Force, becomes the Dark Phoenix, and blows up a planet. Actually, she blows up a star, which blows up multiple planets, committing mad genocide. The editor-in-chief, who I believe is Jim Shooter, is like, no. No, absolutely not. (laughs) You cannot redeem her from this. You, No, she has to go. So she, uh, a storyline is written where she sacrifices herself, and it's a little clunky because it's Chris Claremont in 1980, but it's also extremely beautiful. It's a oh, great comic book. Over the course of the 80s, the X-Men become the juggernaut that we know it today. But mo- all of the original X-Men leave. Like, even Cyclops leaves eventually after this, because... When we think of the X-Men today, we think of it as kind of how it is in the 90s, where every mutant who has ever been an X-Men comes back in, and they're either on an X-Men team or an X-Men adjacent team, and there's just a fucking billion X-Men. Yeah. While At what, the very least, they're all sitting around the mansion, being right? like, when's my turn? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Well, what Claremont was doing was people graduate and grow out of the X-Men and go off and do other things, or retire. I don't actually like his version as much, but I understand what he was trying to do with it. His idea is, this is a school that people should graduate. Yeah, you don't just stick around. Kind of the best version is when they just become teachers, to be honest Uh, with you. Editor in Stowaway Steven here. I I just finished moving all the plants to the grow room. I was wondering why I hadn't heard him in a while. I I just walked in. I gotta say, that's my favorite version, in all honesty, because I much prefer it as a school, kind of. uh, But if you're going to do it as a school, it should be a, a school. I like like a, a full thing as opposed to yes. I like I think I like the idea of both splitting mm-hmm. the difference a little bit of like you can be a teacher if you're not comfortable going back out of that world where everybody fucking hates you because this is an allegory for bigotry. Or but we also don't need too many Mister Feenies. Yeah, you you can't. Boy Meets World. Yes. Yeah. I didn't have that channel as a kid, so I <laughs> Mister Feeney, their teacher that follows them throughout their entire education. That career. was strange. That was very strange. As well as being the neighbor. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> but you couldn't just do the neighbor? You couldn't just have him be the neighbor? I don't think they were expecting it to last as long as it did. But this brings us to the 80s where X-Men has become the biggest comic in the world. It's outselling everything. It And it has been for years and years and years. Marvel starts expanding the world. Wolverine starts getting his own solo series. New Mutants, I think, came out before this. Yes, it definitely came out before this because it's before Cyclops left the X-Men. Yes. And then in 1986... Author Bob Layton wants to make a new team with all of the original five X-Men, or what's left of them. The original lineup for X-Factor, and when they were doing the advertisements, they had 
all four of the male X-Men and just an outline of, like, who the woman was to be a big mystery of, like, who will be the replacement fifth member? It was supposed to be Dazzler. Okay. I love Dazzler. I do not think it would have worked very well. Like, it just would have been strange. Mm-hmm. And X-Factor was a weird enough book already because Beast had left and joined the Avengers. Iceman and Angel had joined, had helped create the Champions, which only matters because that team lineup is uh, Angel, Iceman, the Black Widow, Hercules, and Ghost Rider. It is the <laughs> yes. most insane lineup of Marvel Comics, like, of all time. There's no reason to have them together. And then all three of them had ended up joining the Defenders together. Right. After the champions immediately imploded. Go figure. <laughs> who would have thunk it? Oh, and Cyclops had gotten married to a woman who looked exactly like Jean Grey. Wild. We'll talk about Madeline Pryor a different time. It's nutty. I'm pretty sure we touched on her at one point. She's a clone of Jean Grey that was not supposed to be a clone of Jean She was just supposed to happen to look like Jean Grey and Cyclops married her and that was supposed to be okay. It's a thing. No matter how you slice that, that's fucking weird. Chris Claremont is one of the most brilliant comic book writers of all time. That does not mean he doesn't have weird, uncomfortable gaps. Between that and his weird tendency to make white people get transformed into people of a different race. Oh, yeah. Ooh. He wanted to turn Kitty Pride black. This just came out. This was a whole thing because there was a whole, like, Storm has a mother reaction to Kitty Pride, and they were going to make it extremely literal. Right. It, we're not going into it. It's weird. They did not let him do it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason that Psylocke got turned into an Asian mm-hmm. woman, and we'll actually discuss that one in running in a later episode. Anyways, someone was talking and they were like, man, it's just a bummer that we can't bring back Jean Grey for this X-Factor book because we have all of the others. And Kurt Busiek goes, oh, I figured out how to do that when I was a teenager, back when it first came out. And they're like, what? We've we've not used her for six for years. <laughs> we brought in an alternate universe future daughter to work around this and you just have a solution? Also, if you're gonna bring in a different woman to be Jean, just bring Rachel instead of Dazzler. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Kerbusik came up with what is considered possibly the most significant retcon of all time. The idea that it's not actually Jean from any point of the Phoenix onward. Mm. That the Phoenix is a completely separate entity from Jean Grey. So when we see them, what looks like them merging in Amazing X-Men or Uncanny X-Men 1 of whatever I just said it moments ago. Right. Actually, that is the Phoenix taking the form of Jean Grey and then she takes the body of Jean Grey, puts it in a little weird cosmic egg because Marvel loves cosmic eggs. Yes. Puts it on the bottom of the ocean and just leaves her there to heal over time. You know, like you do. Like you do. This does mean that in the 80s, we ended up with three separate versions of Jean Grey, of the Phoenix, of Jean, and and of Madeline Madeline Pryor. They also get merged back and forth over time. Because at one point when Madeline dies, all of her memories are transferred to Jean. Just to, you know, tidy up any, you know, relationships or past continuity that might have existed in a comic book that she might need to know. X-Factor is honestly one of the best books of the 80s once the Simmonsons, uh, uh, Walt, and can't think of his wife, who was the act, uh, author's name. Ooh, Louise? Louise Simmonson. Thank you very much. She's a wildly important writer who needs to be recognized not just as, like, 
Walt Simonson's wife. Mm-hmm. It's such a good book, but there is a lot of really weird stuff they have to gloss over, like Cyclops abandoning his wife and baby to go meet up with his ex-girlfriend and his like high school buddies to form a super team. Or Jean Grey is suddenly not the Phoenix and totally didn't destroy a planet. And it becomes a really back and forth, is Jean the Phoenix? Is Jean not the Phoenix? In the 90s, she starts adopting the Phoenix costume again because it's one of the greatest costumes in the history of comic books. But then he... Whatever she does, everyone's given a lot of side eye. Yeah, Cyclops is like, whoa! (laughs) We're supposed to be hanging out in Alaska, like, calming because a sentinel tore my heart out, and you're dressing like the Phoenix. Not supposed to be stressed out right now, Gene. But it's a good look! I think Grant Morrison eventually fixes it as, like, I am and am not. Like, just Mm -hmm. both are true. Really, they've kind of stopped talking about it. Yeah, I would just just merge them all together at one point. Mm -hmm. I was just like, they... They were all not each other, and now they are each the other. The modern thing is that the, she's been connected to the Phoenix. She has officially rejected the Phoenix, and, quote, the Phoenix was holding me back. Because once her power was unlocked by the Phoenix, she had to spend so much of it holding the Phoenix, this unlimited spirit of creation and rebirth, from doing that to everything it saw, that she only had a fraction of her power. They took it away, and she's like, most powerful telekinetic in the world. Try and stop. So like Rock Lee when he takes off the Exactly, it's 100% that. Most powerful telepath. She's not the most powerful telekinetic. She's only Omega-level telepath. She is not considered Omega-level. Who's more powerful as a telekinetic? Quentin Quire? Yes. Okay. Quentin is, I think Psylocke's considered to be a more powerful telekinetic, just not as powerful of a telepath. Yeah, we can fight that to the end of the Earth, but you really love Psylocke, and I really love Jean Grey. But Quentin, for sure. Isn't isn't the guy who plays Legion... Legion is not technically a telepath or a telekinetic. He's a reality warper, which mm-hmm. is his whole different... Yeah, okay, that's right. Never mind. He doesn't have brain powers. He just... I mean, he kind of... it. You know what? He does and he does it because he's <laughs> fucking with reality. Yes, there we go. He he does... It's fucking Bugs Bunny rules in that like he does Pretty so much. much as it affects the story. So, at the end of <laughs> the day... reality. Yes, Kurt Busiek, when he was a teenager, with his friends... Probably smoking pot because it was 1980. Or because they were teenagers. Or because they were teenagers. Or because pot's great. Or because pot's great. You know, the whole. Whatever, man. <laughs> uh, came up with the solution that all of the creatives at Marvel could not figure out. Interesting. I didn't know all that behind. Cool. Anyway, in order to keep our journey going, <laughs> we're going to have to drop some ballast. Luckily, Zach is stuffed to the brim with assorted genre facts. I'll prod him a bit and see what shakes loose. Remember, any misses or mistakes will have to be made up for at the end of our trip. Today, we'll keep with this expedition's theme of DC villains. So, Zach, what knowledge can you drop on the Time Trapper? DC, he's not... Her Degaton, who's a different time traveling D. Well, I mean, all of these are DC, but like, he's a di- um, the Time Trapper. He's a villain of the Atom? No, he's a Legion villain. There you go. There we go. The Time Trapper is a Legion villain who I don't know much about him, so we're going to do a half redemption on this at least. But he generally wears, I want to say, a big purple robe, and I think he carries a staff a lot. And the. Biggest thing about him is his identity, who the Time Trapper is, has changed multiple times. Yes. The the true identity of the Time Trapper. And the Legion remember being like, wait, he's so-and-so, but now he's a different person. Because ever since Crisis on Infinite Earths and then Zero Hour, 
time has changed so many times that the time trapper gets warped by those same ripples throughout reality. At one point, he was a old version of Cosmic Boy, who was a founding Legion member and the most common leader of the Legion. Another time, he was Superman or Superboy Prime. Mm-hmm. That's from Legion of Three Worlds, which is a pretty good book for uh, part being part of a really bad crossover series. Um, really, he is... He's not the most interesting time villain DC has. He just, in a lot of ways, he exists because Legion is in the far future. So if you ever want them to interact with someone else, you need time travel stuff. Right. Also, uh, I think one big thing he did was after Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Legion timeline didn't work anymore because a big part of the Legion storyline is they went back in time to meet Clark Kent when he was a teenager and operating as Superboy. Superboy did not exist after Crisis on Infinite Earths. There was never him operating out of Smallville wearing an identical Superman costume, but as a teenager. So suddenly, the uh, huge part of Legion lore, which they didn't reboot the Legion at that point, doesn't fit. So they came up with a complicated storyline where the Time Trapper made a bubble universe where there was a Superboy that the Legion had gone back into and met to keep all of the, like, 30, 40 years of Legion history from just exploding. That seems like a not a villainous thing to do, almost. I think it would have made him explode, too, so that's kind of the, like... <laughs> Self-serving, got it. Yes, it's that bit in Guardians of why do you want to save the galaxy because I'm one of those idiots that lives in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know nothing about who the Time Trapper is as a person because, partly because it's been redone so many times. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if you need to do a half. The only thing you really didn't get is, like, the four... You mentioned Superboy Prime. And Cosmic Boy. Do I have that wrong? I might... You, yeah, no Cosmic Boy. Oh. Superboy Prime's right, but, like, the only thing you're missing is, like, the four other identities. Who are the other... Is anyone... Just a random controller. The controller being the creepy yellow guys with the big teeth that... They have... The controller's assistant, Glorith. Well, that's just sad. Rock Crin. Rock is someone connected to the Legion. I just don't know. And uh, the young girl, Lori Morning. Yeah, okay, I got enough. I just... Yeah, like... Do you the, think Rockren is enough there that you would think you need to do a redemption? Nope. <laughs> okay. If we're going to call it on that one, I'll take it. He's one of those ones that he pops up and you're like, something big's happening now. Is he interesting? Not really. Something big's <laughs> happening. It's mostly to tidy up some bullshit yes. time travel, but don't worry about it. He's, and and you got his appearance pretty much right on too. Yeah. So he he wears a big purple cape. His oh, face cool. is covered. That's I a, want him to be cooler than he is. <laughs> well, let's. Go He's kind of like most versions of Kang the Conqueror. To be honest, I'm not a big fan of time travel supervillains because you end up with a lot of. Well, why don't you just go kill so and so in the crib? And the answer is Rip Hunter. Rip Hunter is just super busy at all times. <laughs> also, the, the, the second answer is, yo, dog, it's fucked up to go kill a baby. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't done anything yet. They will. Super but- villain. At least Kronos, the, that's the one I was thinking of this, the Adam villain, has a really bad costume that includes a bunch of stripy pants that at least, at least makes him visually interesting while he's getting punched in the face by a tiny man. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I think I think you pretty much got it. Like I said, you just didn't get the others, but you knew that it changes mm-hmm. and will probably continue to change. The Legion is a series that I find really interesting, but it's really overwhelming to try and read because they kept being like, no, we don't need to reboot it. Until they came to the point that they're like, every time we launch a new Legion book, we need to reboot it. Like for like 30 years. They're like, no, it's fine. We can just fucking kick it 
until it works. And now they're like, oh god, one small thing has changed. Start from scrap, boys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's it for today, folks. We're taking off. Before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows over at earvrm.com. And it's E-A-R-V-A-V-Y. That is not right. <laughs> E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. As always, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and to Ian Ford for our theme song, Tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, and away.